name is Gabby Joya. Welcome back, EmigCast. I'm a Med 20 at OHSU, and I'm here today with Dr. Corey Slovis from Vanderbilt University. Um, Dr. Slovis, thank you for joining us. If you could please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into emergency medicine. Absolutely. So I started out in medicine and wanted to go into infectious diseases. And while I was in the emergency room at Grady Hospital in Atlanta, I started riding the Grady Ambulance and fell more madly in love with lights and sirens than I did with gram stains. And so I did a second residency in emergency medicine after completing medicine. And I had the privilege then of uh, being in Atlanta at Grady in a really busy city hospital for uh, more than a decade after I finished training. And tell us a little bit about your role here at Vanderbilt University right now. So I have the privilege of being the chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine uh, and I also uh, get to work with Nashville Fire. I serve as their medical director and also serve as the medical director for our airport. So our topic today is going to be about hyperkalemia. So if you, if you don't mind starting out just telling us kind of how do you define hyperkalemia for us, your medical students? Oh, certainly. Hyperkalemia is elevated potassium. And although some labs say uh, greater than 5.1 and occasionally greater than 5.2, my bias is potassiums ought to be in the fours. If it's above four it's hyper-K. If it's below four, it's either hypokalemia or uh, borderline hypokalemia. Uh, I know the lab defines it as below 3.5 or 3.6, but in general, Ks ought to be in the fours. And electrolytes are kind of boring. Potassium is exciting, at least to me. And the reason it is, is hyperkalemia is the only acute electrolyte abnormality that has the potential to kill rapidly and acutely. And the first symptom of hyper-K, unfortunately, is death. So you want to get it before it's symptomatic. About which level actually concerns you when you see it on a BMP or a CMP that comes back? What level do you start to say, oh shoot, we need to do something about this right now? So that's a great question. And I like to take a lot of the emergencies I know and have a one-word response to guide me so that to know and to act becomes one and the same. V-fib, shock, anaphylaxis, epi, hyper-K, EKG. You don't die of a potassium level of eight. You die because the hyperkalemia causes an EKG change. So whenever you have a patient who's hyperkalemic, get an EKG, and that EKG will define how you treat the patient and whether it's an emergency. In general, Ks are in the six or higher before you really begin to truly worry about them. But hyper-K, EKG. Tell me a little bit about the EKG reading that we should look out for for someone that is hyperkalemic. In my religion, we believe that there are five causes, five steps, five reasons for everything. And so there are five EKG changes for hyper-K, but they're in the beginning, when you're first learning about this, there are three major changes. T's up, P's down, QRS widens. I believe that the T wave is made out of potassium. As you get more and more hyperkalemic, I visualize it as the T wave getting bigger and bigger, tall, peaked T waves. And as you get hypokalemic, the T wave flattens. It's not actually true, but it's sort of true, and so I continue to believe it. As the potassium level goes up much above six to six and a half, you begin to see P wave changes, the PR prolongs, but the next big change is the P wave disappears. So if you see an accelerated rhythm without P waves and the T waves are big, 
one of your thoughts has got to be, is this hyper-K? And then what defines a hyperkalemic emergency on the EKG, not on the rhythm, but on the EKG itself, is the QRS widening. As that happens, you begin to have hypotension. Your patient is going to die soon. Uh, and as one of the two indications for calcium, people die with a wide QRS that becomes a sine wave. So that's the fifth change. And in between all that is PR prolongation. So the big, the big three are T's up, P's down, QRS widen. But the five changes are T's up, PR prolongation, P wave disappears, QRS widens, and a sine wave. Any other diagnostic testing that you believe should be run if you suspect hyperkalemia? I really think there are five things. Certainly the patient's serum potassium, their prior potassium, their history, their physical, and then their EKG. Do they have a shunt? Are they on dialysis? What was their prior potassium? Is this a sudden rise? And this really feeds back into the five major causes of hyper-K and Hyper-K EKG, because the number one cause of hyperkalemia is not. Most people with hyper-K have really normal serum potassiums, but the red cells have lysed, either during the blood draw or on the way to the lab. It's not a lab error. The lab is correct. It's pseudo-hyperkalemia. You said there's five major causes. Let's talk through those five major causes. So I think it's hard to remember a lot of causes, and there are certainly 10 or 12 or 14 causes. To me, when I'm thinking hyper-K, it's almost always one of the five major causes. Hyper-K EKG, because the number one cause of hyper-K is not. So not is the number one cause. Number two is the real, true cause of most hyperkalemic patients, and that is renal failure, made worse by acidosis and low insulin levels. The fourth is cell death. And what I mean by cell death is Rhabdo, rhabdomyolysis, tumor lysis syndrome, burn, crush, or true hemolysis, DIC, uh, or some other acute hemolytic reaction like from a transfusion reaction. And then the fifth one is drug causes. There are many, many drug causes. Please remember that some benign drugs cause hyper-K, nonsteroidals, ACE inhibitors, potassium-sparing diuretics. Bactrim. So one should always be careful mixing and matching those drugs, especially in older people whose renal function might be declining. And you mentioned earlier that usually the first sign is death, but what are some symptoms that people <clears throat> might experience that we aren't seeing if they are hyperkalemic? Unfortunately, hyperkalemia in and of itself does not cause symptoms. Hyper-K changes the EKG and changes the electrical gradient. But be suspicious of hyperkalemia in critically ill people, in acidotic people, in hypotensive people. And whenever you see someone who has a history of renal failure, check their K. But while the K is in the lab, you should be getting an EKG whenever you see someone at risk of hyperkalemia. Let's talk about treatments for hyperkalemia. So most treatments for hyper-K should be devoted to driving potassium into the cell. And there are, of course, five ways, and we do four of them, or at least consider four of them. The first two moves are glucose and insulin in a ratio of five to one, so usually 50 grams of glucose, 10 units of insulin, and starting someone on a beta agonist, uh, a continuous albuterol mask, 
bicarbonate, only if acidotic, and if they can tolerate some volume, and almost anybody can tolerate at least a couple of hundred cc's, a little bit of saline to just rev the pump. The fifth way to drive it into the cell is magnesium. We do not use magnesium, hyper-K, EKG, but people that can excrete potassium can excrete magnesium, so they're hypermagnesemic too. We only use calcium, usually calcium chloride, for an emergency, and an emergency is defined as a wide QRS, which goes into a sine wave, but the other one, an Amomatu, uh, has spoken about this a lot, and since he's taught me about it and taught all of us in emergency medicine about it, I see it a lot more. If you see a bradycardia, look at it closely. Could it be a hyperkalemic bradycardia? Are there tall peak T waves? If there are, they don't need atropine or pacer. They need calcium, one to two amps of calcium chloride. Calcium comes as calcium chloride, an emergency, or calcium gluconate for non-emergencies. These people get calcium chloride, 10%, 10 cc's. And how about someone with renal failure? Do you go to hemodialysis? At what point do you transition so, to that? So, although I like to say there are five causes, five steps, five reasons, in the treatment of hyper-K, there are really three phases. Step one, trick the cell. If the person needs calcium for a bradycardia, for a widened QRS, we give calcium. Step two, drive it into the cell. I, I've enumerated those therapies. And then step three, as you're asking about, get it out of the body. If they can make urine, make them pee a lot, saline, saline, and Lasix. But most people, the number one cause of hyper-K is renal failure. They're not going to be able to make urine. They need to go to dialysis. Something that's overrated is the use of K-oxalate with sorbitol. It's fine for preventing K to rise. It's not that good on getting it down. It is not part of the emergency treatment. I think the one thing I'd like to say is that when I look at errors in the treatment of hyperkalemia, they're twofold. One, not recognizing that a bradycardia might be due to hyper-K, and two, giving calcium for people that have tall peak T waves. You want to save an emergency therapy for an emergency. Tall peak T waves are nice to look at. They don't electrophysiologically adversely affect you. It just is giving you a, a warning that this person needs therapy for hyper-K. They don't need life-saving emergency care at that moment. For um, someone that's working in the field, what should they do if they know someone is hyperkalemic and they don't have these medications on hand or necessarily all of them in the EMS group? What so in the field, if the QRS is widening and they're picking up a patient from dialysis, certainly calcium. And one of the other drugs they have for renal failure for acidotic people is bicarbonate. And one to two amps of bicarb uh, will throw more bicarbonate into the body, which means hydrogen has to come out of the cell to neutralize that base, the acid, H+. Well, as H-pluses leave the cell, K-pluses will run in there. So they have calcium and they have bicarbonate. They can't give them together because you'll get calcium carbonate. You've got to flush the line or use a different IV. Um, and last but not least, do bananas cause hyperkalemia? Truth or false? So when you have someone who's hypokalemic, bananas, potatoes, guacamole, tomato juice, V8, black beans, they are great for repleting potassium. If you have renal failure, you should not eat 
potassium-rich foods, and bananas are one of them. I think the most important thing to remember about bananas, don't slip on a banana peel.